Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello and welcome to another edition of the STR Data Lab. I'm Jamie Lane, Chief Economist at AirDNA, and I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, uh, Bram Gallagher, economist extraordinaire. Bram, welcome again to the podcast. Thank you, Jamie. It's a thrill. So we are now through 2023. Uh, we can finally report on year-end numbers. But before we maybe get to some of the highlights for the year, let's just start with how December ended for the short-term rental industry. Can you give sort of our listeners a rundown of what the numbers said? Well, sure thing, Jamie. Yeah, so December came off the heels of a, of a pretty hot November that we had. And one thing that uh, when we're looking at year-over-year -year changes, one of the things that we got to keep in mind is that uh, both Christmas and New Year's Day were on a Monday this year. They were on a Sunday last year. Uh, so particularly for uh, uh, New Year's Eve celebrations, you know, this this did have some something of an impact. So December came in, uh, the demand numbers, you know, 4.3% higher than than the same month last year. So, you know, a little bit lower than we had been trending. We had 7.5 was the, the, the November number, as I said, came in a little hot. So I was kind of looking forward to seeing what December was. It cooled down a little bit. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, supply also cooled sort of uh, about the same rate. So 14.2% in November, but now 10.8% in December. So that gave us an occupancy of just around 50%, 49.9%, which is almost exactly what it was in 2019. So one of our theories is that occupancy shot up quite a bit in 2021. It's been coming back down and has just recently arrived at its more long run pre-COVID uh, level. And December numbers really reflected that uh, well. The ADR was still negative, but a little bit less negative than the, the months before. We had really strong ADR increases in 2022 and 21. So uh, we've been reaching for pricing power as occupancy has declined. So just the fact that it is a little bit less negative than the last month is, is a positive sign. Yeah. So, and you talked about supply and that's probably the, the figure I'm looking at most closely as a future indicator of, and what 2022 is, or 2024 is going to hold. And you mentioned maybe that we've seen some deceleration there. While we had been seeing some acceleration and some acceleration that I honestly was starting to concern me of, because <laughs> uh, right. we had been like, and you look at the numbers in August and September, like down around 10% growth, which was significantly lower than what we'd seen last year of and 23, 24% growth. And we were sort of progressing on that trend line. And it felt like it was going to continue to head further south. And then October and November started to reaccelerate some. So how are you feeling about new supply? How are you feeling about new listings coming in? Like, one, are you still feeling confident in our forecast for supply? And if you could remind our listeners what the forecast is for 2024 and whether we expect to see further deceleration or acceleration as we head throughout 2024. Yeah, one, one of the great, uh, you know, that's a great question. Supply is 
a pivotal question when looking at any of these lodging markets. One of the things that really continuously surprises me about the short-term rental industry as opposed to, say, conventional lodging, hotels, and, and that sort of thing is how nimble the supply is. As soon as we had higher occupancies, it seemed like we had a lot of supply start coming online to try to take advantage of that. And we did see a, a boost over, say, the last three months in available listings, you know, quite significantly. Uh, the supply nights as well sort of went up. But now that we've hit that sort of long run average, we had a little bit weaker demand um, in December and, you know, the, the supplies sort of went right along with it. So, you know, I'm very impressed with you know, how well and balanced, I guess, the supply and demand have gotten. We said uh, at the beginning of the year that the available listing nights was going to be up 12.8% for 2023, and it actually came in 12.6%, so just a tiny bit lower than that. We're forecasting 10.9% for 2024. I still feel pretty good about that. If anything, it might end up being a little bit lower than that. So again, the December number was 10.8. We've got 10.9 for the entire year. So we'd have to accelerate a little bit from this last December and stay that way for the entire year for us to, to hit that. But I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's going to end up somewhere around 10, around 10%. I know when you're forecasting supply, uh, we like to sort of get in the heads of short-term rental investors and getting a sense of investability. Are people going to be making new investments? How is the performance of short-term rentals? How much revenue are they earning? What are the occupancies? But also the acquisition costs, so home values, interest rates. And I think it was between when we talked last, we sort of heard the start of the maybe inklings of a pivot from the Fed, of, and we're at least, and Jerome Powell was starting to hint at a more, more dovish posture that we're going to go from essentially pausing rates that they're now expecting to start decreasing rates uh, throughout 2024. How do you think that could, one, impact our forecast of supply and sort of the mind of the investors? And and two, um, the Fed talked about three. I think market expectations are a bit more than that. How are you thinking that interest rates, or at least at the Fed fund level, going to play out throughout 2024? Oh, gosh, yeah. So the, is this the $10 trillion question? That's uh, <laughs> what you get paid for, right? Yeah, sure, yeah. No, yet you're right that, that uh, the Fed has been taking a, uh, a look at uh, loosening monetary policy. Uh, we saw markets really respond well to that. They've been yearning for some rate cuts, but the latest economic news was pretty strong. Uh, the uh, labor numbers increased month over month, so we've got more than 200,000, 218,000, no, 216,000, I'm sorry, added in December. So we only need about 100,000 to keep the, you know, that's the sort of steady state job increase that we need. So we've been going above that for, for quite some time. It's been very, very strong. The consumer price index as well. So that's the, uh, the, the measure of inflation that probably most closely watched also went up uh, again. So, so there is a little bit of, uh, I guess, headwind to rate cuts. So when the, the, the economy is, is, is running as, as well and as hot and as tightly as it is right now, I guess there is a fear that additional rate cuts would 
drive inflation back up, would overheat the economy. So there are a few things, I think, to look at that, that may help you know, assuage fears. But whereas the markets were saying, oh, we're, we're, we might have as many as six cuts in 2024, I'm, I'm thinking at this point we're going to be holding rates a little bit higher for a little bit longer. So fewer rates cuts than, than that, maybe more along the lines of what the Fed was, was indicating initially, uh, more like three this, this coming year. And some of the reasons for that would be that, you know, we did see CPI increase just a bit, but, but some of that was, uh, well, almost all of that, I should point out, was, was in a few areas. One of those was shelter, so home rents uh, increased. Another one was insurance rates for automobiles, and those tend to be lagged quite a bit. You know, you've got these insurance companies, they're collecting data on, on the risk and the payouts, and all that data takes a while to be processed. So rate increases are really reflecting cost increases from, from years past. So that's another element there. And productivity, was that's, that's something that I've been really taking a, a close look at. Because, you know, when you see inflation, that's when you've got more money going around than you've got actual stuff being traded in the economy. And productivity is, is a sign of actually how much stuff we're producing. And that was up 5.2% in the third quarter. We haven't gotten fourth quarter numbers yet, but that is an exceptionally strong quarter over quarter gain in productivity. So what that tells me is that, yes, we are running a very tight labor market, but everybody seems to be pulling their weight. Um, you know, wages are increasing. They're increasing at a little bit slower rate in nominal terms than they were last year, which is good. But at the same time, they're now slightly above inflation. So that that's a positive sign for buying power. But I think the productivity increases are, are, are going to be able to back that up, which will help stymie inflationary pressure. Yeah, and I've heard some interesting sort of explanations of the increased productivity. One centering around the sort of great resignation that we saw throughout 2020, 2021 and 2022 of people sort of realizing maybe they didn't like the jobs that they were in. We saw unbelievable uh, numbers of job openings and people making the decision to switch jobs. And maybe now we're seeing the, the benefits of that, of people actually happier in the jobs that they're in. And when they're happier, they're much more productive in those type of roles. One, do you believe that explanation? And two, are there any other explanations that you think could explain this sort of large uptick in productivity and if it could be sustained and lead to higher wage growth long-term? That, that's another great question. We have seen a number of really fundamental shifts to uh, how work is, is, is done and, and carried out and that, you know, on a variety of fronts. So where you can be located to do the jobs with remote work, um, just the matching that we can that we can get with the interconnected uh, uh, job search that, that we have. So yeah, I think that there are some arguments to be made that there are some you know real labor market efficiencies there. Uh, and two, yeah, when the pandemic lockdowns happened, people started thinking about their quality of life, and uh, you know it, it really brings, I guess the important things to mind, right? So, so I think you're right. People might, might be looking more for a job that really suits them and their passion, which can only help productivity. Absolutely. So jumping back to the short-term rental data and maybe digging in a bit further on the supply side, because again, I, I had mentioned on, I and mean, it's, it's a measure I, I focus very intently on and 
we had heard some headlines out in Q4 around, and specifically around New York uh, on impl- implementing new short-term rental regulations. And, and we're obviously seeing that in the data year-over-year change in available listings. I think we're now over kind of 15% decline in that market. But as I look at the trends and across the different location types that we sort of track, it seems to be a, a lot of the deceleration we're seeing in supply growth is coming from our sort of urban centers. And that uh, the rest of the groups and seem to be and still seeing pretty significant supply growth and 10% plus. And we know that in lodging short-term rentals, like it's very much a local business and you're competing with the units around you. So do you think we're masking at all the sort of trends that we're seeing in terms of still significant supply growth by, and the real deceleration is just happening in the urban areas because of the regulation and overall supply is still a major issue and, and still leading to pretty significant pain in the industry in terms of both occupancy and ADR declines. Yeah, uh, I will say about this, about yeah, New York and the urban markets in general. So when we look at all the location types, the urban locations are disproportionately concentrated among a few markets. And that makes sense, right? That's all. That's what urban urbanity is all about, is density. So yeah, you can get a few regulations in some of these, and that'll actually sway the entire location type you know, significantly. That might even sway the entire market. So I'm just going to go on the head on the record here. I said for 2023, we're going to have 12.8% supply and 6.7% demand. And we were a little bit under both of those. And it's completely New York's fault. Right? <laughs> no, no. I. But it is a big market. You know, it's a really, it's a really big market. Uh, so a couple of these sort of regula- regulatory actions occur. And it, ha- it does have a big sort of disproportionate effect. You know, looking at some of the before and after uh, occupancies, though, you know, the resort types are still, I think, meaningfully higher occupancies than they were pre-pandemic which, uh, you know, is still very good for them. You know, suburban, mid-sized cities, a little bit slower to, to, uh, or I'm sorry, a little bit smaller uh, uh, groups, but they've been growing, you know, pretty moderately. And then you've got some of the rural areas, and that's where you've seen a lot of supply growth, sure, but you've also seen a lot of demand growth there. And I think that the supply, why it's locating there is because there's there's more interest uh, there. But I would say, you know, across the board, we've seen a pretty nice balancing. And even with the restrictions in supply in the urban areas, you know, the, the occupancy hasn't hasn't uh, fluctuated wildly. The ADR hasn't fluctuated wildly. So I think people are responding uh, uh, to the availability, to the options that they have. And supply in turn is responding to where the demand is landing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and it's part of my sort of longer term thesis on why short-term rentals sort of win over hotels is the ability to sort of move supply to where the demand is and sort of the dynamic nature of the supply that you were talking about earlier. Like, unfortunately, you can't pick up a hotel and sort of move it to where people want to travel to today. And yes, you can build new hotels over time, but that that's a process that takes years and takes a lot of things sort of aligning. In reality, what we're seeing is a lot of the places where people want to travel to today 
may not be large enough to support the scale that a hotel needs, i.e. the number of rooms that need to be built. And short-term rentals are able to deploy on a much smaller scale, accommodate that demand. And I think it, it, it shows in the data. And our small town, rural location type still saw available listings increase over 20% in December, which is still a, just an, a really significant growth rate where you see urban and because of the, and as we talked about, some of the regulation was only growing at, at 7%. We have the fastest demand growth still happening in those small town, rural location types. I mean, yes, occupancy is declining in those areas as it is across all location types, but we still see and the most demand coming into those areas where supply is growing fastest. Yeah, in, you know, it's not just the location of supply. I, I, I think that the, the short-term rentals go even, even a bit farther and there's a, a dialogue between guest and host. Uh, you know, we look at this industry and still a lot of it, you know, I, most of it is dominated by smaller players, local players, people that are, you know, really have a feeling for uh, what the, the location has to offer, are able to present it to to people as an option and people respond to that. They, you know, they can look at these advertisements for, uh, you know, whether it's a listing on Airbnb or VRBO or or elsewhere. Uh, but they can look at these and, and see the sort of curated uh, version of that location. You know, it gives them a reason to visit. So it it is it is pretty exciting how quickly supplies shifted. To your point, back when looking, we were looking at hotels, you know, you, if there was too much construction in an area, you could tell that there was going to be oversupplied in the in the year ahead. But not quite the case here in, in uh, the short term rental market. I I love that point. Um, into sort of put a sort of explanation mark on it. I was looking at one of our highest supply growth markets uh, over the past few years uh, of Joshua Tree, California. And in that market, entire home listings, so houses, villas, cabins in that market, we've seen supply go up 130% from 2019 to 2023. So we've over doubled the number of listings in that market over that four-year period. But over that same time, we've seen the percent of listings that have a pool go from about 19% of listings to over 40%. And we've seen those properties with a pool earn 70% higher revenue, 5% higher occupancy, north of 70% higher uh, ADRs. So yes, there has been a significant decline in occupancy over the past year or two in Joshua Tree as a lot of that supplies come in, but we're seeing the supply that is still getting added really sort of being curated towards and what guests want in the market. And there people are now and using tools like what AirDNA has, really be able to analyze sort of what are guests wanting? What are the configurations of homes? Is it what do we see higher occupancies in? Is it one, two, three, five bedroom plus? What are the amenities that are sort of leading to outsized returns and adapting new supply to make sure that it's going to sort of meet guest expectations? And a lot of the declines now are happening in that market are units that really haven't adapted, are having a tough time competing 
with the new listings coming on that are really purposely adapted to what's doing well. It's an in- interesting issue, I should say. It's not really a problem, but an interesting issue when you have supply growth numbers that high, how quickly the landscape can shift. Well, who your competition is, is, is a lot different in Joshua Tree to, today than it was just a few years ago. Yeah. So maybe digging in uh, on a, a couple of their figures before we sort of wrap up. I know you mentioned ADR growth and one, how it, it may be not as declining as much as we'd seen in November come December. But can you just give us a sense of what has the trend been in changes in ADRs throughout 2023? How does that compare with what we've been seeing in the hotel industry, sort of uh, the major competition here on on price? And then what your expectations are for, for the year ahead? Sure. So I will say that short-term rentals, I think we're a little bit quicker to recover a lot of the ADR post-pandemic to actually capitalize on some of those high occupancies as well. So we had some really stellar growth in ADR in 2021 and 22. The theme for 2023, though, it's been pretty uh, pretty flat for for most places. Now, it, in nominal terms, it's it's a bit negative, but I think one of the reasons for that is a lot of the new supply that came in in 2023 was uh, a bit lower priced. So if you look at sort of the same store sample, um, most of the trend this year has been a pretty flat ADR, and that's that's compared to hotels again, which are you know, still sort of in, in something of a recovery mode from from the pandemic, but they've, they've been increasing small amounts. 1.5, I, I think, was was uh, December. So a little bit up in uh, hotels, a little bit down in short-term rentals. So uh, on the whole, lodging seems to be pretty consistently priced. For 2024, we're going to be in a different uh, occupancy situation, right? So we've been coming down on occupancies, lots of supply. More recently, though, we've seen the supply and demand really balance out. Our occupancies have been really closely cleaving to 2019 pre-pandemic levels. And I think they're going to continue to do that because you know, that's, that is the rate of occupancy that, that these, uh, the short-term rental industry has demonstrated that it can maintain. So you know, in, in normal times, I should point out. So with the a little bit of pressure off of the operators in terms of you know less less competition coming in and and occupancies not falling it's going to help us raise ADRs by a little bit next year more like 2%. So more commensurate with maybe what hotels have been doing lately. That's interesting and maybe sort of points to even increased competition going forward of neither uh, lodging type having sort of tailwinds or headwinds but it's going to be much more of hand-to-hand combat on how to price your unit, how to react to demand trends and, and needing to react more real-term to what, what's happening on a day-to-day basis. Right. No doubt it is going to be you know, intense, very precise sort of changes to ADR that we're looking at, you know, nominal adjustments. Well, final question for you, Bram, as we sort of wrap up our first review of the year is... What are sort of the data points? What are you watching? What's most interesting to you maybe over this next month that you think is going to come out, either short-term rental data or economy-related that, that has you sort of paying attention? 
Well, you know, looking ahead uh, to the markets uh, or to the SDR market, um, one of the things is uh, international travel. So that was a pretty big theme this last year. So international outbound travel. And I had been reading this, you know, this report from U.S. Travel Association. It was ranking all of these markets and it ranked United States 17 out of 18 in terms of global competitiveness, only ahead of China for international destinations and and uh, the marketing that's going towards that. And while some people might find this to be a sour statistic, I am, you know, what this says to me is that, wow, we have got so much room to improve. This is going to be a big growth area in 2024. Okay. So I think what's interesting there is it's potentially guests coming into urban locations where we potentially don't have the supply to accommodate them because of the regulations that have come in and the sort of... So one, I don't think we're fully recovered on occupancy yet in our urban locations. Uh, so maybe there's some opportunity there to still accommodate within the existing units. And then a question then becomes is, can supply continue to adapt to uh, the growing demand for urban locations? Right. And, you know, will will the international traveler, um, you know, ever get an appetite for maybe some less less visited destinations? Yeah. You know, not just New York and San Francisco and, and, and L.A., but maybe other big cities as well that have increasing supply. So maybe a, a marketing opportunity for our friends in the DMO space. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, you know, my, my father-in-law goes to Las Vegas every, you know, every year, it seems like, and, uh, he loves to go there because it's, a, it's such an international crowd. You know, you, you hear all different kinds of languages. It's just like the Atlanta airport. So, you know, there's, there's lots of potential, I think, for places to, to attract the international traveler. Well, that's great. Bram, thank you so much for giving everyone a rundown of the sort of data, both on the economy and short-term rental space. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Jamie. Always a fun time.